Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to the latest chapter of First Contact, taken from the subreddit HFY. All the relevant links will be down below. Please like, comment, and subscribe, like any evil genius of the algorithm would do. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. Just a quick shout out to the T5 peeps. Bob the Dragon, Cat Crab Lobster, Data Magnet, Dark Machine, Bezik, Try Again 95, Feudic Yol, Astrea the Dreamer, Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Athelia, Meridian 117, and Jordan Buxmorm. Thank you very much. Chapter 399 Captain Stalgard held tightly onto the old crab bars on the side of a command couch. The lights flickering on the bridge as a little frigate took a small section of the NCV cannons fired by the harvester that was breaking orbit from around the gash giant. Sure, it was only a fraction of the guns in that salvo, but when the array firing that salvo was measured in the tens of miles rather than by the barrel, the concept of only a fraction became largely moot. No damage, cycling up projectors and section 9G. Hull integrity is still nominal, her DCC officer called out. It was worth it as the little brigade and its brigade mates came out of the maelstrom of Hellfire, still tightly interlocked in formation, guns still hot. Target lock! Guns called out. Stalgot heard Rear Admiral Lower Decks call out and give her her own input. Open fire! She yelled. The brigade shuddered as the fire plan was activated. The massive C-plus cannons fired, rotated barrels, loaded a ground car-sized slug, and fired again. Each of the six guns spitting out C-plus rounds every 15 seconds. The inverted tachyon particle beams ripped out, transferring almost instantly across the hundreds of kilometers to impact almost be before deep C-plus shells. The frigate flashed its missile pods, the pod itself turning into C-plus slug, and dumped more out. The creation engines ran overtime, producing a shell every second and a missile pod every five seconds, the heat rising rapidly. The harvester being targeted took hits from the entire brigade across the engines. The C-plus shells hit inside the shields, detonating inside the engine spaces, which were not protected by armor, battle screens, armor, technoluminate, like a hull. Over the third of the engines went out or exploded. The rear battle screen failed, lining bolts the size of trains ripped across the hull of the harvesters, tearing huge canyons in the armor. Fire plan updating! Guns called out, decoys out. Stalgard felt the ship slide to the side as it warped space around it. The little frigate's mass sliding into the warped gravity well as it projected it to move rapidly. The entire brigade moved like a flock of birds, each one's engine supplementing the engines of the others, allowing them to move quickly and smoothly through space. The harvesters returned shots whipped through space where the brigade had been hitting nothing but echoes of ships that were a hundred kilometers away. The decoys that survived spun up to full power and fired off. Dozens, hundreds of ship profiles and energy signals scattered from the target area, completely obscuring the small flotilla of two dozen light attack ships as they changed targets to undamaged engines and maneuvered for a better shot. Hellcore charging! Guns called out. General Nadruk heard the call preceded by status change from the ground-side tactical analysis teams. G-M-O turned around. He zoomed something on the variable hardness flooring. He looked down as a large hologram of the planet. The thirty or so icons representing the more massive precursor machines were starting to flash, 
alerting those who were reading the map that they had changed their activities and demanded attention. Because the ships are engaging engines and starting to lift off, someone else called out. Only the lemurs of terror could break the machine's will to fight, Gamo thought. Two hours ago, that realization would have filled him with horror. Now, it was just one more shock and horror piled upon everything that he had witnessed. White filled the hollow tanks as a third armor gutted another precursor ship, turning the superstructure into fuel for the fusion hull fire that consumed it. The feed cleared and the recon drones and sats focused on how the battle steel of the precursor machine was burning like anthracite coal exposed to plasma. You murdered and terrorized your way across the rim systems, and now that someone had hit back, you scurry away like insects. I hope the Terrans destroy every one of you butchers, and that you feel every moment of it. Gamma thought, completely unaware of the irony of Atlantic land thinking such things. The floor rumbled slightly, even though the blast was nearly a hundred miles away. Die! Gamma thought, his tendrils curling with anger. Don't say goodbye, just die! Because trash. An aide touched General Nudruk's arm. A big insectoid shifted, putting M.O.'s attention from the tanks. Sir, 108th M.I. has a data pull request from Sergeant Casey, the aide said. It took M.O. a moment to remember who Sergeant Casey was, and his eyes went to the tank that was tracking the subterranean progress of the massive precursor mining machine. Tell me, Nudruk sighed, putting out another cigarette. He was highly stressed. The weapons being used shredded atmospheric gases, blew holes in the planet's magnetic field, and shattered the ozone layer. The weapons were total war-optioned weapons. You usually didn't use them on a planet you planned on having anyone live on before the Elven Court or Genesis device could be used. They'd been used on Unified Council military targets prior, the Margite before that. Now they are being used to show the precursors that the Terrans still had the ability to hurt them. MI reports Casey filed a data pull request for an older creation engine template, the aide said, combing her whiskers with one slightly trembling hand. It's a uh, problem. What's the problem? General Druck asked. Part of him wanted to snap at his aide as ask her why she was bringing a request for a senior NCO to him instead of going to the company commander. A glance at the holotank showing the progress of the precursor mining machine heading towards the mountains along the path miles below the surface reminded him that he wasn't dealing with some private asking to use the latrine. The request was very specific, but not something our descripted and active template data archives, the aide said. Current network and mainframe usage rates mean that it could take a couple of hours for even one of the bolos to find the correct files in their archive since it's going to be a low-priority file. Anyone else who might have something like it? General Nadruk asked. There is someone in system we can ask, but, um... The aide was silent for a long moment. Spit it out! Who? No drunk. Lit his cigarette as another precursor machine was gutted. The city-sized bulk falling a half mile into the ocean, still burning. The Crusader Wrath likely has a template loaded in systems that they can data mine a lot faster, the aide said. Gamo opened his mouth to ask a question, but General Nudruk beat him to it. What is he asking for? The big trainer had asked, putting away his pack. The aide consulted a data slate. I set a second Terran Manted War Creation Engine tablets for, and I quote, M428E9 High Frequency Phasic Scrambler and High Frequency Phasic Disruption Munitions in the Multispectrum Range. Both sets are real old, but talking archive databanks old. History works. 
How would he know of such things? Gemma asked. Aside from being like 900 years old, it's a pretty big piece of history for our people. General Nudruk mused. He's probably seen it referenced in manuals and documentaries, uh, and history works. Sir, should I contact the Crusade of Wrath? The aide asked. Smokey, no, nodded. Gemi Joan Mentisa, he said, exhaling smoke around his feet. Gemo stared at the holotank as another precursor made it to orbit, its hull burning, only to run face first into the ships of the Crusade of Wrath, which began pounding it with their guns even as it tried to get it clear of the gravity well to safely make a hull jump. The holotank in front of him wavered, then cleared, to show an archaically designed ship's bridge, all black metal with dark green, blue, and red markings. No hologram projectors there, only bulking-looking flat screens. The crew at the stations ranged from female Terrans in heavy armor to rough-looking, almost skeletal-appearing full-conversion cyborgs. The well-lit bridge still seemed to give off an aura of being dimly lit, shadowed, and hidden due to some dark purpose. General, the Jones said, nodding. How may the dark crusade of light assist you? We believe there are maybe a justification to deploy ancient technology only you would be in possession of, General Nadruk said carefully. Technology that we require the creation engine templates for. What type of technology? The Terran woman asked, narrowing her eyes slightly. The crusade possesses many forgotten and forbidden technologies. Be wary of you, you ask, General. High-frequency phasing interrupted technology, Nodruk said. We have a reason to believe there is a statistically insignificant but still valid chance of encountering precursor war-era Manta technology, Nadrak said. She turned, her mouth blurring slightly as the audio cut out. After a moment, she nodded and turned back to General Nadrak. We have such technology templates, the Jones stated. We shall transmit Terran Imperium-era templates as well as combined military authority templates to your people. The lights on the deck of the ship flashed around the joan, and she turned away. I have a battle to fight, General, and the enemies of life to destroy. May you seek honor, she said. The channel closed. Gemo swallowed around a lump in both of his long and short throats. What is that technology do? Casey looked up at Buxton, his armor breathing mask making him look like a strange to Buxton's eyes. Sorry, uh, what, sir? He asked, turning his attention from the holographic wireframe projection of Addix's hand to Buxton. What does the tech do? Even my greenie isn't sure, Buxton said. Casey tapped the hologram as if it was a physical thing. It's old tech. There are civilian versions, but those are the size of small spaceships designed to cover entire cities in an interlocking field. We need smaller ones, ones that can handle the punishment of combat. Okay... But what does it do? Buxton asked. It's a high-frequency phasic disruptor, Casey said, before Buxton could comment that he had heard that, but it didn't explain what it did. Casey pointed at a small scaffolding walkway. We've got an overwhelming evidence that this is a mounted machine, and I doubt it's from Paramek 8. That means our greenies run the risk of being hit by the ruling of warrior cast psychic attacks. Buxton nodded, even as 471 flashed icons of disgust. These were designed but just prior to the Second Manted War, Casey said. He finished tapping icons and wrapped the object he's modifying into the hologram in a casing. 
They won't do much more than make the little green bodies itch. Maybe a little headache, but it completely disrupts the psychic control signals from upper caste. Banana Forge attached to Casey's heavy loading work chassis began to hiss. The untold trillions of nanites contained inside building the template Casey had modified. These are Imperium make. I used the combined circuitry, the Imperium disruptors, and wrapped it in war steel, which can hold and disrupt psychic energies, Casey said. He grabbed a small cylinder as it was exiting the creation engine, waved it a second to cool it down, and moved over to Addox. We attach one of these to each armor, we crank the detection up, and if there is any type of upper-caste mantids running around, they can't force our little bodies to do anything. I die free, 840 transmitted. Icons from every other greenie flashed in agreement. Buxton watched as Casey used a fusion torch to attach two different types of cylinders to Addox's armor. One was round with a flat side, the other was a hexagon. Both had green lights down the side. Ouchie, 471 transmitted to Buxton. You okay, buddy? Buxton asked on a private channel. Tingly, achy, 471 replied. Tastes like copper vapor. It's going to be thick when they cut in if our buddies get hit, Casey said, moving to Buxton. From here on out, our battle buddies need to stay in the shells, especially if we end up deploying the munitions. Buxton nodded, looking at the grenade and his harness that Casey had handed out. It had the Confederate logo of a hand crushing a planet on it, but it seemed older, somehow malevolent, just sitting there. Try not to shoot random robots, you see. Most of them will be extremely task-oriented, Addox said. More than likely, they won't even be able to process your existence beyond being some kind of obstacle to move around. Everyone nodded as Buxton felt a slight twinge in his head, a couple of inches behind and between his eyes. Right now, they're set to stealth, Casey said, moving up into the next person in line. The crusade was nice enough to give us the specs, and they had the stealth mode in the templates that they handed off. They just needed a little tweaking to work with our systems. Buxton closed his eyes for a second as the mention of the crusade made a taste of Gen Zero stim gum rise up in his mouth, and the scar around his cyber ear ached for a long moment. He could remember the fear and rage of the Imperium Crusade Combined Troops landing on Talcon in the middle of an all-out assault by the Dweller-spawn creatures and plants upon the shelter that had undergone an emergency surfacing. Your vitals just spike, Lieutenant. Are you all right? Alex asked. Buxton swallowed. I'm all right, sir. Just reminded me of something. Second Talcon War, Alex said. Yeah, Buxton said. You were there when the Imperium troops made the landing, right? Addict said. No shit, Ball 71 said privately. You could say that, Buxton replied. I am entirely formed of wrath, echoed in his mind, along with the memory of the huge Terran wading into the dweller spawn. Buxton waited, consciously taking control of his breathing to keep it steady and reciting the mantras that had he been taught. A couple of times, these dataling top-stop memes, but they were all pretty bad. Pretty basic ones, which told him that it was easier out of range of the main psyops system, or it was overloaded. One got through and made him laugh, even though it obviously wasn't meant for him, which made it even funnier. A heavy tank with the markings of Bravo Company, 628 Armored Battalion, had obviously driven into a large ditch and had broken its tracks. Tried to back up, 
slid sideways and left tracks bunching up before somehow having a copula jump its tracks and having then gotten stuck at its side. A green mantid was on the foreground with a camo headset saying, Have you tried turning it off and on? What? Private First Class Sherlock asked, making Vuxton aware he'd laughed over the platoon leader channel. Fighting must be easing up on the surface, Vuxton said. He passed around the mean and everyone laughed. Buxton saw Casey shake his head. Not gonna work. They're not gonna need to release the IP and acquire a new one. Try running a network ping, 884 offered. Diagnostics on my board says your tank is fine. Please clear channel. 737 informed the tank in the picture. Must be factory defect, 013 said. Another meme popped up, obviously from 3rd Armor Division's morale section, and Vuxton burst out laughing as Casey attached another set of disruptors. This one was of a precursor with only enough for one, written on its hull, staring with wide eyes at another precursor that was completely engulfed in white fire of an uncontrolled fusion reaction. The one with wide eyes slowly went transparent as it slid off to the side of the picture. The caption read, When you see a boy get roasted by another squad, you realized you're next. It's an older meme, but it checks out, Casey chuckled. I've never seen it, Private Renklet said. Adok shook his head. That's the German pre-diaspora meme right there, boys. The link cut, and Vuxton could see no connection on the Batek net icon. Adex filled the time while Casey attached the parts onto the armor, telling a series of profane jokes that made the tip of Vuxton's ears heat up with embarrassment. It was over two dozen jokes that involved a greased-up Rigelian bodybuilding midget and a pair of confused catboys. Buxton knew that it was supposed to be jokes, but they were so shocking he couldn't even laugh. Ranklank snickered, though. All right, done, Casey said, straightening up. His frame hissed as pressure relieved in the heavy pistons that provided strength enhancement. Everyone ready, Buxton asked, more to Casey than anyone else. Icon splashed ready as Casey nodded. Lead the way, Sergeant, Second Lieutenant Plunix said. All right, let's move out. Sergeant Alex ordered, Casey, take the rear. There was silence on the channels as the platoon moved through the larger maintenance tunnels, following the maps made by the Recon drones. The drones had found what looked like engines as well as massive fusion plants that provided power, but both of possible targets had been set aside by the very obvious target. In the heart of the machine was a huge egg-shaped area that the doors were closed. The vents did not access, and there was no access outside of what appeared to be airlocks designed for mantids. Big mantids. It took nearly two hours to navigate the large area before they reached the heavy airlock. When they got there, Addicts ordered to cut it open by Casey shook his head. What? Buxton said. Need a greenie to jack the seal. It's got some pebbling. Looks like age-related. Might give us an idea of the last time the star was used, Casey said. Bill do, Bar 71 said. My buddy says he'll do it, Buxton said. He half expected someone to object because he was the ranking officer and was grateful when nobody said anything. Bar 71 popped the armored housing, climbing out and jumping over to Casey's frame, hanging off of it for a second. Visual only, don't touch it, Casey said. Not tell how to be ape, Bar 71 shot back. Casey just chuckled. After a moment, Ball 71 moved back into the shell, sliding his blade arms into the computing node built in. He ran a tensile strength and other factors. 
356 years approximately, while 71 let Vuxton know, feeling a glow of pressure and figuring it out. His fellow mantids stuck their tongues out at him via emoji for getting to be the one who did the work. It's been a while, Alex mused. Hopefully there isn't any surprise on the other side of that door. He looked at Lieutenant Blunex. Orders, sir. Open the door, Blunex said, managing to keep himself from looking to Lieutenant Vuxton for guidance. Casey, handle the door, Alex said. Roger that, Casey said. He worked for a few moments to get the control panel off examining it. No power, probably controlled from inside, he mused. He pulled a wire out of the creation engine and ran it to his frame to the door and toggled the power. The door slowly grown open, moving more smoothly by the time it was halfway open. We're going to have to divide up to go through the airlock unless you want me to cut open the far door and risk the thing's system going full breach alert, Casey said. We'll move through by three men groups, Alex said. He looked at Brunix. First three, sir? Brunix felt sweat break under his fur. Um, he started. Buxton stepped forward. Casey, me and Private Ranklack, he said. Brunix felt relief, and the thought of the idea of putting a superior officer in danger bothered him slightly. Casey handed the wires to Brunix and walked in, pulling the panel off the door and starting to work on jumping the power leads. Buxton waited for Ranklack to move through, and then move through himself. When he saw Renglank reach down and take his weapon off the safe, Buxton reached out and put his hand on the weapon. Not yet, Buxton said over the point-to-point link. Go in, ready, but not a hair trigger. Move to the right. Renglank nodded, swallowing as Casey stepped back, the wiring bypass ready. Close the outer door, Buxton ordered. He closed his eyes as the massive door hissed shut, taking a deep breath and centering himself. When he opened it, Casey stood by the door, staring at Buxton, simply waiting it. Open the door, Buxton ordered. He felt loose, but ready to move in any direction. Not an edge, but ready to react with his weapon at any second. The door slid open and Casey stepped in, taking a step straight into the room beyond, and Buxton knew it was to clear the firing arc of the big minigun the human was packing. Buxton went left, rifle in his hands, thumb on the fire selector. The entire sphere was open, workstations covering the walls and a massive computer core suspending in the middle of the room with what looked like some kind of horseshoe-shaped command console wrapped around it. Heavy cabling was festooned everywhere, over console, over chairs, in mid-air as it moved from point to point. Negative movement, Casey ground out. Buxton noted how the human's voice had suddenly changed. Not much power in here, with the exception of our big friend in the center. He turned, and Vuxton could see the cold amber glow in Casey's eyes was fading. I'm pretty sure we bring everyone through. Vuxton radioed back and waited as Locke cycled to bring the rest of the platoon through in threes, with addicts coming in last. During the time spent bringing everyone in, Casey moved around slowly, walking on the catwalks, careful to never brush any of the wiring. A couple times, Buxton saw him duck or step carefully over nothing and changed his visor. Laser combo in the high IR range. Using the data, Buxton started tagging up places for everyone to sit down in such a way that they'd be covered by at least three other members close by. Each time one of the Talker Marines came through the airlock, he guided them to over and sit down. Sir, Casey's voice broke in. 
Buxton looked up and saw Casey was standing in the middle platform, one hand holding on one of the heavy cables that held the platform up. Yes, Sergeant, Buxton asked, noting that Casey's had linked Addox and Prunix to the conversation. I've seen tech like this. It's old Manta tech for sure, but I'm pretty sure that this is what is effectively referred to as an aftermarket modifications by the mechanics, he said. Computers Manta make, systems are Manta make, machines are Manta make. He swung slightly and faced Buxton. Circumstantial evidence suggests that this thing might possibly have a chance at being built by Mantid. You don't say, Addict strolled. Small ass. Hell's glory, Casey suddenly asked. Mine, she said for you to quit screwing around and hurry up, Lieutenant Plunick said. I left a squad with her. She'll be fine. No, Casey said. He swung a couple of times back and forth and launched himself through the air, landing on the catwalk with a clang. The pose, the way he seemed to hang there, reminded Buxton of the Imperium of Rage Marines. We have commo outside, Brunnix asked. I've got slow commo, text and data only, having to go full error correction on it, Casey said. File sit rep, let command know that we're still alive, Brunnix said. He looked around. Where do you think it's going? Somewhere terrible, I'm sure, Buxton said softly. The last time I was underground, it didn't work out too well for anyone involved, he thought to himself, staring at the computer arrays on the central platform. End of chapter. Chapter 400. The small squadron was different than most Space Force squadrons, a single frigate and six destroyer hulls. They were built along the lines of fish, agile and sneak. Moving through space and not space smoothly without causing ripples or cavitation or eddies. They dropped from the esoteric not space and into the most people thought as space as the entire light year from their target and went still. The frigate deployed massive arrays of scanners, sent scanning drones off in a complicated web, the drones moving with their own stealthed drives. Once the drones were in position, they deployed their own scanning arrays that were sensitive enough to detect even the most exhausted photons passage years after the fact. Every available scanner known to the Terran Confederacy was deployed, from simple visual and audio scanners, the latter not as laughable as it would have been once been thought, with the return of the Black Fleet, to gravity sensors, to sensors that could detect dead space emissions as well as track the progress of chronotrons, the six destroyers all waited for a period of time, then moved out in sequence on their own appointed routes, all involving a vast, thick nebula. Each destroyer made micro-jumps coming closer and closer to the nebula from different angles, all deploying scanners. The last destroyer, nameless, only a hull number and a crew to distinguish it from others, made the trip inside. The captain, Jane Thomas Choi, sat in a command cradle. Her hands clenched on the O-crap bars on either side, the bottom of her boots pressed against the plate at the bottom, her body tense, even while her mind was linked to the ship itself. The ship's computer was a simple thing, barely qualifying as a virtual intelligence, and it had no curiosity. No wonder it just performed the tasks as they had been laboriously encoded into it. The three digital sentiences were in heavily shielded disaster frames, all designed to minimize emissions as much as possible. There was no VR network for them to lounge in. It was a meat space or nothing. None of them minded. This was one of those missions. The ones that you might read about centuries after the fact, 
that nobody knew ever happened, but was vitally important enough for ships to be custom-built or retrofitted and a crew hand-selected. Captain Choi watched through every scanner the ship possessed while still in maximum stealth mode, from how particles caressed the hull to how the engine hummed and pinged to how the crew reacted. It dropped from string space as the engine cut out and Captain Choi held her breath. String space could be risky to a ship not guided correctly. A knot could be hit, a ship could come out sideways or inverted, the ship's engine could be tangled and be torn from the hull. But the risk was part of it. The ship floated, dead in space, no emissions, beyond no emissions. Most navies strive to make their ships whole in space. A hole could be spotted. Space Force filled that hole to the point where most particles moved across the star systems as if it were empty space. It didn't help that the ship that had location they had dropped into was difficult at best to adjust for. Which is why the entire crew were hardwired to one another for conversation. The crew systems was completely isolated from the rest of the computer system. Fiber optic cable only. Months spent with only electrodes to keep the muscles toned, specifically crafted foods through the tube that were designed to prevent organ atrophy. The crew members that moved, moved in total silence. Their cable connections allowed them to communicate. Every vibration was accounted and muted for. Scans coming back, Captain Hooker sent from the maneuvering scan station. Choi glanced at the former tanky W officer. It wouldn't have been her first choice to go outside a space force for a scanner technician. She'd peeked at his record and had been startled. 380 years as an armored vehicle EW systems tech, guiding everything from armored scout cars to heavy main battle tanks. He even spent 20 years as a bolo operator. She had realized that space force had figured a man who could guide his tank and fellow crewmates through burning cities and hellish atmospheres, would be the man who would put together the best path for the ship to take. What's it look like? Captain Choi asked. The interior of the nebula had been cleared at some point in the past. It looked as if the nova or supernova had gone off, pushed the particles and gases that made up the nebula into a shell around empty space. We've got superstructures, Hooker said. There, um... Hooker suddenly reached and slapped a red button next to his cradle. To Choi, it felt like the ship suddenly inverted as a temporal reversion drive was kicked on. It wasn't exactly a drive in the sense that it didn't exactly manipulate time. Rather, it had the particles reverse motion between two set points. The set points were when the ship had started the jump and when the button was snapped. The ship jumped backwards in space and not in time, as the temporal section was used merely to provide an instructional baseline. All six of the destroyers came jumping back at roughly the same time. The six alerts were transferred to the frigate, and all seven ships jumped to string space and vanished. The nebula sat silent, as it had for millions of years. Captain Joy walked into Rear Admiral Lower Decks Lucas's office, seeing that she was in good company with her other five destroyer commanders. She took a seat and waited. Unlike most Space Force meetings between ship captains, this one was in meat space. I've looked over the records, Admiral Lucas said, tapping the data slate screen. I'm going to endorse your decisions, but um, the word hung there for a long moment. We have to go back in, the Admiral said. Sir, I assume they were going back in with Nova Sparks and Platter Crackers, Captain Sorensen asked. 
Admiral Lucas shook the head. No, we need more data. But we've found could answer some of the biggest questions we've had. Is the timing right, sir? Captain Norman asked, her anxiety shown by the way his fingers kept tapping his uniformed leg. I've done the numbers, the angles, the place spits, the Admiral said. There was shocked silence. How much does Confed Intel think the Atlantic lands have amassed over the last 120-odd million years? Captain Choi asked. Enough to have built it all, every bit of it, and then some, the Admiral said. We need better scans. We need to get a look at the whole thing. The six captains all nodded. Captain, I've been matching the surface scans taken from earlier encounters of the superstructures to planetary scans of planet to land systems we've scanned, Commander Jaisley said. Go ahead, Captain Choi said, tapping her toes against the stress plate at the bottom of a crash couch. They match, for the most part. There's a hundred million years of continental drift. In some cases, it's only vaguely recognizable, but I've got a lot of matches, he said. I've been able to match 42% of the cartography and superstructures to various Lanarktal systems. He heaved a large breath, including Talcan 1 and Talcan 2. Troy nodded. Beyond that, anything else that you've been able to deduce? Jaisley shook his head. There's a dent, so to speak, in the nebula, Jaisley said. I've done some estimations, and it looks like I may have hit on why. Go ahead, Troy said. Jaisley was one of those people who were never happy just knowing something... They had to look into how and why the something was like that. By my estimations, a small stellar mass, probably the size of a superstructure microstellar, was nova-sparked over 120 million years ago. The blast wave pushed the nebula in at this point, Jaisley said. It explains why the nebula has thicker banding on the outside than the inside. So, um, Troy started. Status change, Commander Deschutes called out. Ships arriving, two, five, seven-point saucers. Go silent running, Choi snapped out without thinking about it. Belay that, Hooker said. I've got confed transponders. We go to silent running. Someone might run us over. Twelve points, all squawking space force and confed IDs, Duchette's called out. One's the inquest of answers. Looks like it's a flagship. It's a battleship hull. Both of the fleets hung in space as handshakes were exchanged and verified. Weapon systems were taken offline and their heavy battle screens were allowed to spin down, leaving only basic particle screens in place. The admirals of both fleets met. Each had the same question. What are you doing here? Dreams of something more stared at a holotank in front of her, giving the mantid equivalent of a smirk. Mr. Rings was in her arms, and she was slowly patting him with her blade arms. This was unexpected, words spoken, we fear. Also known as speaks, said softly, staring at the holotank. Dreams nodded slowly, absently petting Mr. Rings, who was happily chewing on a rubbery flesh of a Pacific Northwest mollusk and winding his tentacles around Dreams' blade arms. His rings were dark, almost blended in with his brown skin. His eyes were wide as they stared at the holotank, wondering if there was something delicious inside and why it was so interesting to his caretaker. So, uh, this is where Sea's path has led us to, Speaks said softly. Dreams nodded again, reaching down to touch her modified anime land kimono. The cherry trees painted on it, wavering as if the breeze had gone through them. Dreams thought for a moment about the dark comedy that led her here, to this place. A simple diplomatic mission to meet a new species, one with a large area, massive population, true. 
but still a new species all the same. Then it had turned out that the new species to the Terrans, but an old species, an old enemy to the Mantid. Then the Lanaklan had attacked the Terrans, as almost every species the Terrans encountered had a habit of doing. I should name it Behold Humanity Paradox, James mused, letting Mr. Rings climb around her to sit on her back. She absentmindedly handed back the Pacific Northwest woody tree snail to him as she looked at the Hana tank. She could see the other Terran fleet hanging in space, see their icons. According to the captain, the ships were nearly invisible stealth ships. Scouts, she thought to herself. Somehow the Confederacy discovered the location of what we had been hunting, both of us following tracks left by others to what we did not know was our prey. The Admiral has already linked us in, Speaks said. He touched the data slate on his hip. Each of us will sound like crazy beings to one another, except within the nebula lays our prey. Dreams nodded, flicking her mandibles. Mr. Ring slid off her back, using his strong tentacles to pull him across the rocks and into the stream, where he rolled several times to wet his skin before holding onto two rocks and banging the treat against another. This is momentous, something galaxy-shaking, something that changes everything we know about major historical events, the gold manta thought to herself, smoothing her kimono. She reached up nervously and patted her hat to make sure the boxy flower adorned head covering was securely in place. Link us in, Dream said. Captain Choi took a deep breath as the countdown started, holding her breath when the ship dropped from string space to real space. String space was mangled there. Her navigator, like the other six scout ships navigator, had pointed out that there had been two stellar class explosions, which had tangled the strings and made it so that the navigator required a direct neural link to the navigation system instead of any other link. That no matter which way the ship went, they slid through the tangle, adding real hours to the trip. The ship slid into real space silently, just appearing. To Troy, it looked like the world suddenly went white. For a moment, reality was made up of strings, tightly woven and unraveling. For a moment, her mind teetered on the edge of madness as the scout ships made unprotected translations into real space. Scanning array out, lick us up at the rest of the task force, twice said. She gripped the old crap bars tightly and pushed her feet against the pad, covering the stress plate before the kinetic gel was pulled and the pad converted to a covering. It was silent for a long moment. She looked at the communications level graft in the upper right of her vision, projected there by her data link. The crew was talking rapidly to one another on official and technical channels. Very little on personal communication channels. It was verging into dangerous territory for interpersonal discussions, but the crew was still on mission, even if they were silent. The ship's morale generator tossed her a meme and she sighed. It was a blank box with text at the top and bottom text LMAO on the bottom. The same meme that it had been kicking out for nearly a month. It had been a long time, this mission, for a full lockdown stealth run. And I get back on respecting as a male and hitting the red light districts for a week straight, she promised herself. I'm taking two weeks downtime minimum and hitting the lotus planets and eat my fill. Scanner, data coming in, sir, Hooker said softly. His hand reached out and slapped the red button again as wired reflexes kicked in. This time, the button didn't work. Cut off at Choi's orders. By the chromium St. Peter, Choi thought to herself, 
as she stared at the data that Hooker was threading into the understandable information. The nebula was pushing back for nearly a light year along the same plane as the galaxy. It was pushed back for a light month to the up and down of the galactic core. The space was not empty, even though the space dust had been pushed away. It was what was in the space that made implanted reflexes keep firing in half of the crew. Massive superstructures. Knife signs, Troy asked. Results aren't back. Lots of energy signatures. One of the structures is fairly active, Hooker answered. Data right now is a year old, but I'm catching up. Transmit the data to the Admiral, Troy ordered. Deeper than the little scout ship, surrounded by more stealth systems than even the engine's mechanisms began changing to the state of a handful of strange matter particles. Those particles rapidly fluctuated as the data was sent. Aboard the frigate and one of the communications arrays went live. Data streaming in from Captain Choi's scout ship as the strange matter particles, mirrors of the ones on the scout ship, began changing state to match the ones on the scout system. The data poured into the frigate systems, where normally aboard a ship of that class, there would be massive ammunition bays, huge guns, extensive targeting systems, data analysis systems had been installed. The gun crews had been replaced with analysts, all of whom began to go over the data. The frigate streamed the data to the recent arrivals, and the systems aboard the battleship-sized diplomatic vessel went to work on the data. The two ships talked back and forth, comparing data, making estimations and guesses, as the data kept streaming in. On board the diplomatic vessel, dreams of something more, watched as words spoken we fear and 117 went over the data. Just the sight of the data, what she could understand, made her shudder response. Standard operating procedure now, when the megastructures produced by these massive superstructures are sighted, is to load planet crackers and nova sparks, she thought to herself. She cleansed her antennae, staring at the Hana tank. Every time one of the megastructures was spotted, Space Force or their predecessors descended upon the megastructures, not to explore, not to take over, not to research or examine, but to obliterate it from reality. The gold man did shuddered again, closing her eyes and taking a deep breath. So who made them? The Lanik Lan, my people, the mythological third race, all of us together, a fourth race, who was behind this horror show that drifts silently through space, moving slowly through the galactic arm on a course full silence between the galaxies, she wondered. Who are the inhabitants? Why are these terrible species? When did it all start? What is the goal of these drifting creations and their terrible inhabitants? Who? Why? When? What? Dream stared at the Hana tank. There were massive scaffolding structures, each beam as large as a continent, the superstructures themselves are two million miles high, just under 200 million miles wide and long, and a flat square devoted to the construction of an object within. Some of them were half-assembled, or perhaps half-disassembled. There were smaller rectangles, the smallest being a 100,000 miles thick and a million miles to the side along the XY axis. Look at that, Fights said softly. That is one being layered. Dream shook her head. All this does ask more questions. But we know that a third race did exist, that they were here, that they took part in this, Bite said slowly. No base material now, 117 transmitted. The same as the other structures, Dream asked. Yes, 117, only good for mega and superstructure, worthless for other uses. Dreams closed her eyes. 
She had seen the documentaries. She had read about it. Enough master built four Dyson Spheres, or a thousand Dyson Swarms, or even an inverted Dyson Sphere. And they chose to build those, she thought, staring at the screen. How do those stop the heat death of the universe? How do those let you survive entropy? She stared at the holotank, willing more answers. Are they reacting to our presence? Choi asked. On the bridge, she was silent. In a crashed couch, the ship's atmosphere pumping into the tanks. She was still connected to the rest of the crew by fiber optic cable. The ship rigged for silent running. The ships had made three more jumps since the first. They were now only a light day away from the nearest active structure. Her crew's stress metrics were stable, elevated, but stable. I'm giving an eye, but it doesn't look like it, Booker said. I'm good at telling when the enemy has seen my tank. Choi kept from snorting a laugh. My god, it's one and only a half completed, Commander Dennison said softly. Choi looked at the scan that was put up. Continents were visible, either bare rocks surrounded by oceans or vegetation covered instead. That one is almost completed, Dennison said. There are no energy signatures within the megastructure itself except for the cities in the middle of the supercontinents. Any sign of whoever's in charge of all of this? Choi asked. Negative, Hooker said. The only spacecraft I've seen is obviously devoted to construction. How long do you think it takes to build one of these? Choi asked. 1.4 times 10 to the power of 5 years, what 17 said. Atmosphere creation at 1.38 times 10 to the power of 5. Water addition off the soil after that. They're layering the soil, from the looks of it, Speaks said softly. There's one that looks finished. You can see how the scaffolding's being removed. Do you think this is automated? Dreams asked, staring at the holotank. It's like a nightmare, she thought to herself, where your dream goes from pleasant to horrifying without warning. Must be, Hooker said. By the digital omnibus side, the fact that it's just sitting out here, automated, pumping this stuff out for a hundred million years. We know where they're coming from now, Captain Choi said. The urge to nervous spark all of this is overwhelming. Screw answers, Jaisley said. These things have wreaked absolute havoc and genocide everywhere that they've encountered anyone else. They're locusts. Got damaged superstructures, Hammond said. Hold damage, never repaired. His hand twitched towards the panic button. Harvester hulls, multiple type. Get me readings, Troy snapped, sitting up. Long moments stretched into minutes. Finally, Jaisley spoke. They're dead. Long dead. I'm seeing damage to them. Damage to their building cradles, he said. Based on what readings I'm getting, they've been dead a long time. How long? Choi asked. 1.1 times 10 to the power of 6 years, 117 said. He was silent a minute. Last millennia of the precursor war. Dreams nodded. Any estimation of to what happened to those objects that led us here? Yes, 117 answered, then turned back to the data. Can you share it with us? Speaks asked. Yes, 117 transmitted. Not classified. More silence. 117, what is your estimation of what occurred here that led to our mysterious objects floating through space till we discovered it? Dreams asked. 117 flashed icons for annoyance and pulled his attention from the data streaming in from the six scout ships. He accessed the holotank that sat idle and moved a simulation of what had happened, based on the best estimates the green engineer Cars could come up with onto the data tank. There, 117 said and went back into the system. Dreams watched the holotank as it came up. 
It showed a satellite space station that had discovered orbiting a stellar micromass with three amorphous blobs representing masses that the Green Engineer cast had discovered evidence of based on the structure that they had discovered. It showed an estimation of the angle of the mass driver hit that had damaged the station, sending it tumbling. The micromass then detonated, pushing the already tumbling space station with the blast wave accelerating it. The micromass pushed against the nebula, the space dust and particles attenuating to the blast until it was reflected back and away, following the path of least resistance. So, it looks like the first shots of the Precursor War might have happened right here, Dreams mused. I concur, words spoken we fear said formally. I think I may have an idea of what it caused it. There's only enough for one, Dreams said sadly. Look, harvester manufacturing cradles, White said. Big ones. What they were originally designed to do, and then they would adapt it to war machines, Dreams wondered. Non-combat design, 117 said. Affirmative. Non-combat harvester manufacturing cradles, Hammond said. I'd estimate this stuff is older than most of the precursor automated war machines we've seen. Captain Choi nodded. The ship had moved to within a light hour of the harvesters. The other ships were examining structures, all of them, under the light hour from the largest of the structures. Look at him. He's almost finished before those craters got put all over his hull, JST said. Seen patterning like that, DSC velocity cannons. From the size of them, ship of the lines of mass drivers, Hooker said. He chuckled. They destroyed the engines, but that's about it. Not the work of a pro. I can see a dozen points I'd have prioritized targeting on based on the engines. They're just sitting here, dead. Dormant, Joyce said, shaking her head. For about a hundred million years, they've just sat there. Well, the main factory has been spitting out the megastructures to terrorize the galaxy, Duchette said softly. So, we've got Lanks, the Mantids, many Thulas... And none of them match what we've seen on these structures, Hooker said. So where did those come from? A hundred million years of evolution, Troy guessed. We were tiny little mammals avoiding big-ass lizard chickens back then. The things in those megastructures could have evolved to form mice into things those superstructures hosted. Signal from the Admiral, Hammond said. He was silent for a moment. We are to return to normal. Any reason given, Troy asked. We're going to Novaspark at all. Planet Crackers and Novaspox. The diplomatic fleet carriers the firepower necessary to do the job. Who the hell authorized that? Troy asked, alerting engineering that they were about to slide out. Confederate military, words spoken we fear said. I don't blame them. These things have been a plague on the galaxy for a hundred million years. They're reavers, locusts. They're denuded entire systems, stripped entire planets of every living thing, siphoned off atmospheres and water, even ripped up easily accessible resources. This site contains answers to questions we'd barely begun to ask. It contains evidence on what started the Precursor War, who was involved, and what happened, Dreeps protested. We can't just spark and crack the whole thing. Can and will, 117 said. This place is unclean. It is just a place. How is it unclean? It's just a giant manufacturing plant, Dreams protested. But the cradles to produce harvester-class precursor autonomous war machines. The superstructures needed to create those... those... things, Speaks said. His antenna covering. The Terrans spend blood, gallons, oceans of blood before we just started cracking them when we spotted them. They sought answers as to who built them and why. Exactly. We don't know, 
Dream said. We do, Speaks said softly. He tapped the holotank and an image of a land came up. There is only enough for one. It has to be more than that, Dreams protested. It can't just be that simple. It can't be that they've been delivering a hundred million years of resources to this place just to build things that they aren't using, that nobody is using. The round car, now driverless, plows into a crowd, the reason for the vehicle forgotten. The driver, staring in horror, wondering what fiend had sent the ground car speeding towards the crowd. Fight said, her voice quiet. Terrans marvel at the automation, how all three precursor races built automated systems that lasted for thousands of years, millions of years, functioning and automatic for the entire time. We created systems that last forever, run on automatic until the end of time, Dream said, staring at the image on the holotank. The Lanarktalan are just as skilled as we are at creating automated systems. The third race must have been just as skilled, and we have the green engineer cast to perfect our own systems. No blame us, 117 said. You ask, we provide. We had no choice, not like Hanau. I'm not blaming your cast, Dream said. If anything, I blame lies on the queens and on the rest of our society. Once again, we are faced with the fact that our past has caught up with the rest of the universe, Fights murmured. Words spoken, we fear, watched as icons of the combat ships escorting the diplomatic vessels began winking out, reappearing inside the nebula. No, our past has continued to affect the universe, the galaxy itself, he said. One of the larger superstructures vanished. Now the universe answers to a question nobody had thought to ask has arrived to give the universe answer to what we have done, Speaks said, watching the automated harvester construction cradle vanish. And we now know, at this moment, what humanity is the answer to. There was a silence as another superstructure and a half-complete mega structure vanished. What? Dreams started to ask, choking up as another superstructure vanished. She nervously cleaned her antennae. What was the question? It was a question asked to the universe, Speaks said softly. A question that the three of us asked the universe when we decided there was only enough for the three of us. How can we survive entropy? Fights guessed. Speaks watched as another superstructure vanished, the nova spark detonating the pseudostellar mass in the middle of a half-completed megastructure. No, Speaks said softly. No. Our question, posed by the three of us, was far more arrogant than that. It was a question that only a trio of species capable of creating such things with an automated system would ask the universe. Spin it out, Dream snapped, suddenly tired of Speaks acting more like seas. They watched another Niven ring shatter as the stellar mass exploded when struck with a nova spark. The universe told us that the resources were for everyone. We said that there was only enough for us. And eventually, we said there was only enough for one. Laughing, our question at what we thought was an uncaring universe. Speaks said softly. He stared at the incomplete Niven ring, the pieces mostly completed but not yet connected to one another began taking panic crack munitions even as the superstructure itself began taking hits. Dreams suddenly realized what the question was, even as she realized the terrible Xeno species always found living on Niven rings were being obliterated from the universe. What are you going to do to stop us, me? She whispered as the creation engines aboard the combat ships manufactured more planet crackers and nervous sparks. Behold! 
Humanity, Bites said. End of chapter. Chapter 401. General Drunk stared at the holotank that showed the disposition of all his forces on the planet. Precursors were recalling their machines, performing a fighting retreat, trying to get off planet with as many resources as they could while exposing themselves to as little fire as possible. In three paces, as soon as third armor started moving in them, the precursors abandoned their resources and ancillary machines and just lifted off, running hard for orbit. General Drunk changed the orders to let Spaceballs handle the wrestles that lifted off, sparing the planet from debris falling from the registering of megatons in some places. A meme popped up on the holotank window, showing third armor morale, and he shook his head. It was an old one, but put together by one of the logistics personnel that were finally coming off shift after refitting and reloading great herd armored units. It showed a burning Baylor, with another precursor staring at it, thinking, on one hand, it represented 15 years of resources gathering. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure there was a human dancing on the hull. A spin on the old spider in a cockpit or house meme, the big Trianidad thought to himself. His conscious gaze went to the icon for borrowing mining machine, now four miles down and making a beeline for the junction at the mountain ranges in the middle of the supercontinent. If somehow you blow up that mountain, my determined little Talcon officer, you'll start a chain reaction that'll eventually separate the continental plates into different continents rather than a supercontinent that has been there for billions of years, he thought to himself. However, having witnessed what your people are capable of, how determined your people can be, I'm sure the planet will break before first Talcon. He lit a cigarette, watching the busy command center, only M.O. keeping him company as the Terran Confederate military fought through the night. To what are you heading towards with my men, you metal monster? Nadruk wondered silently. What horrors are they being subjected to? Icons didn't answer, just kept moving as a steady 100 miles per hour on its 5,000 mile journey. So the kid right here gets top grades all the way through third grade. We're talking top marks across the board. Blows away test skulls, everything, Casey said, sitting on the edge of a scaffolding and chewing a piece of stim gum. The end of school year comes and the dad says, Son of mine, first of my line, what shall I bequeath upon thee for such an outstanding marks in regard for your schooling? Casey idly pulled a small device out of the creation engine, attached it to his heavy gun and attached it to the frame as he kept talking. Sergeant Addix looked up and shook his head then went back to watching the device Casey had pulled off the loading frame. Vuxton made sure his marines were comfortable, making sure that the platoon was relaxing, not letting the stress of their trip dull their edge. Half of them were sleeping, some of them were playing cards, and about a dozen of the greenies were playing a complex turn-based multiplayer forex game that looked like it had been going on for at least years. The kid looks at his dad and says, I wish for thee to give me onto a pink golf ball. Patron of my familiar line. One, not more, not less, of the shade of pink. I wish for the simple thing, mine Peter. For I do not desire to view the house mouse planet, nor do I wish to gaze upon the vast worlds that offer me through virtual reality. Nay, father of mine, gift unto me a simple pink golf ball. Lacey said, waving his hands around, the loading frame whining as he did so. The father, knowing his son as indomitable will, concedes to his beloved offspring's demands and gifts the lad with a single pink golf ball. 
Did the kid's language change? Second Plutex asked, frowning. My confederate standard is not the best, but I feel that his language has changed. Shh, you must stop the joke, Casey said, grinning. Your communication thingy is blinking, Casey, Alex said. But Jooms never fail ya, Casey said. He moved up and knelt down next to it. It's slow, but reliable. Why don't we use it for all the standard communication? Brunex asked. I've heard there's problems with some of the quantum devices out in the Hessler Theater. Because it's spooky particles, Casey said. But Jooms can suddenly decide that they don't want to work, or might decide that they're going to pretend to be different particles, or ignore the flux of other bejooms that are mated to. There is a strange matter of normal particles, and like a purple boy or a Trianandar clan matron, do what they want. How do you know this, Sergeant? Bernux asked. I thought that you were ordnance. Casey looked up, grinning behind a clear face mask. The eye patch made her look decidedly venomous. Buxton thought. Wasn't born an old kid. Seriously, Alex said. Tell the kid. Casey laughed. All right. The tombs are the only thing that can reliably send communications out of a nerve-ring or doom tube, he said. Damn long message, not a tablet, though. Looks like text. Doom tube, Buxton asked, sitting down on a blank console. He queried his data link, but all he had gotten back was a human in a grey metal armor with a green cape standing next to Water Park Slide, staring at a small child saying, You find yourself in the doom tube, child. It didn't make sense to him. Addox looked up. Imagine a tube, walls of 100 miles thick, 5,000 miles wide, 200,000 miles long. Imagine it's full of mountains, lakes, rivers, the like. The atmosphere is prevented from spinning up by walls of a thousand miles high. A fusion reactor travels down the length of a period of 12 hours before it exits the tube, moves to the outside, and then travels the length back, charging the solar panels. Brunix gave a slow whistle. What's the point of it? Well, it's a non-planetary habitat. Usually they move about 0.2c between stars and a careful path to avoid being captured by stellar systems, he said. Humans make them, Plunix asked. Why aren't there enough planets? Addict shrugged. Nobody knows who makes them, kid. The lights stopped blinking. Only three green ones burned. Nope, better check my text messages, Casey said, squatting down. The frame hissed and thumped, and Addict had to turn his head to when the piston released steam. Really, dude, you're just going to do me in the face, Addict said, mock coughing. I'm demanding on the first date, Casey said touching his box with a finger. Buxton saw the lights come on and Casey's data link. Casey stood there for a moment, closed his one eye for a moment, and then opened it. All right, my body in 108th MI, let me know that this thing is heading for a junction of a mountain ranges, Casey said. He turned his palm over, projecting a map up to the hollow emitter in his palm that was Confederate military standard. We've got another 50 hours at current speed to reach the junction range, Precursors are withdrawing. Looks like we broke their morale. The machines, first class Sturtrick said. How can they break machines' will? Casey gave a snort. Pretty easily, actually. Their coding is pretty obvious once you think about it. Bullcrap, Shetrick said. Casey looked at him, and he flushed. Bullcrap, Sergeant, he said in a much more even tone. Casey chuckled. Okay, the precursors are all. There is only enough ice cream for one, right? He asked. Shoot truck nodded. 
So it's all about resources, all about resource consumption and resource allocation. They view the universe as a zero-sum game, less like most races who never get too deep into spooky particles. So if truckers out there are gacketing precursors like Christmas turkeys, Turkey is delicious, 471 said. Then the precursors have to decide if the amount of resources it takes to take the planet away from us is more or less than what they'll be reap once they own the planet, Casey said. Since we're shredding the precursors out there, ripping them apart probably faster than they can produce them, it mechanically and logically breaks their will. Shatruk nodded and stayed silent except for a small embarrassing sounding, oh. Never be afraid to ask me a question, kid. All privates are stupid. A private is made up of being young, dumb, and full of scum. It's up to men like me and Alex to educate ya. Train ya right up so you don't feck up and blow the lieutenant here's leg off, Casey said, grinning. He might find that a bit disconcerting. Sutruk nodded. Oh, and you're more than five steps from your weapon. You're dead, Casey said, and closed his eyes again. You were my troop, you'd be beating your face. Vuxton checked Sutrek's anxiety metrics, noticing that he'd relaxed despite the Terran NCO pointing out he'd walked too far from his weapon. After a few more minutes, Casey straightened up, picked up the device and slapping it into the empty spot on the loading frame. Vuxton had noted that the closer he looked at the loading frame, the further out of spec it seemed to be. He'd compared it to other loading frames he'd seen around and noted that it was a different model, and its serial number indicated that it had run off by one of the big creation engines, created piece by piece and assembled by hand. He had watched Casey attach over a dozen pieces of equipment he'd fabbed up from the nanoforge attached to the gun, never mentioning what the piece did or what they were for. What's the plan? Addix asked Wuxton. Wuxton had known that question was going to get asked, so he was ready. It's confirmed at least 50 hours till we get there. They'll probably be maneuvering and a waitlist checking. Then it'll dock with the facility, Buxton said. We use the nanoforge to keep our atmosphere tanks stopped off, run up something besides Space War Standard Nutri-Paste, let everyone get some sleep, weapons check, ordnance check, officers and NCOs do a wag planning. Addox nodded, his space shield transparent. Sounds good, sir. I'll drop a guard shift, assign quick reaction false, make sure that it's all smooth till we get there in two and a half days. Buxton pinged Plunix, telling him to pay attention as he spoke. Make it happen, Sergeant. Hurrah, Addix said, and then moved away. Buxton watched as Casey came through the airlock, followed by three Talga Marines. He was off shift, finally, having eaten Nutri-Paste, taken a drink, and sat down. Plunix was taking over on shift, and Buxton felt tired, even though he hadn't done anything for almost twelve hours, but sit in a command center for the vehicle. The three Talca Marines moved over and sat down, keeping close together, as Casey moved up and sat down next to Buxton. The Terran troop looked as fresh as ever in his loading frame. The black armor plates he'd put on over his adaptive camouflage were unmarred, his armored boots were shined, and he took off his face mask, exposing that he wasn't even sweaty. How is she? Buxton asked. Ready to come to our rescue if things go south of a hooker's backside, Casey said. You know, you don't talk like a religious person, Buxton said. He held up his hand, even though Casey just snorted in amusement. I've met a few of the guys from the crusade, seen the sisters in action. They talk a lot different than you. Fifth Reformation, Casey shrugged. He grinned. 
I've been in the military for over 900 years, sir. Joined the Planetary Guard at 16 as a big dumb farm boy from the Black Range Plains. Transferred to Space Force and saw combat by the time I was 17. His grin got wider, and again Vuxton found himself wondering just how many teeth the Terran had in their mouth. The war didn't end until I was almost 40. He grinned, somehow got wider. The elders, they had, uh, well, they had changed my life path for me, in accordance to what they saw my destiny to be, informed me that I was to stay in Space Force. Buxton frowned. Why? Casey closed his eyes and was silent for a moment. He opened it, sat down slowly, and waved his hand to encompass the sleeping Talcum Marines. They decided I was here where I belonged, right here, leading others, he said. I don't know much about Terrans, but less about your people, Buxton said. He reached out and laid his hand on the heavy gun that he'd set down beside him. The first time I saw your people, I was woken up after a shift of hosing out the interrogation cells. I'd been informed that I was now corporate security and was going to have to fight the precursors. Yeah, I get that, sir, Casey said. Kind of how I ended up in Space Force. He made a buzzing sound. Citizen Casey, you're now Space Force and find 15 credits for unauthorized wear of Planetary Guard uniform. There was a silence for a long moment. Be careful, 471 transmitted, taking a quick break from arranging his manufacturing queue in one of his city states. Touchy touchy. I once got fined half a day's pay because an overseer got blood on his uniform, leaving a cell that he had shot a Tarkin female in the head only moments before. Buxton said quietly. I hadn't cleaned that cell yet. I was waiting outside. He'd find me as I walked in. Oof, that's rough, Casey said. Now the Marine Corps gave you a gun and told you not to let that happen to any other being. Buxton nodded. Why did you stay in? Buxton asked. Nine hundred years. Aren't you tired? You feel sis tired sometimes, sir? Casey asked. He was running one finger up and down the barrels of his rotary machine gun. Sometimes, like now, I feel tired and wonder if I've gotten in over my head, Buxton admitted. Can't let in any doubt show. He gave a wry chuckle and nodded at where Shutnik was sprawled out, his foot twitching as he dreamed. Could you imagine how privates like him would react if I showed doubt in the middle of the everything? Casey gave another chuckle, this one with an ugly edge. Nothing lets you know everything's gone sideways when a lieutenant starts screaming about how we're all going to die. That happened, Buxton asked. Casey nodded. Sixth drop, my seventeenth birthday. Left a cake in the mess hall. Dropship took a heavy biosplasma hits. One of the engines exploded and we started spinning in. In Louis blew up chunks into his helmet and started screaming that we were all going to die. At least he was wrong, Buxton said. He was sudsed like everyone but me, Casey said. His voice got hard. I was fighting from the wreckage of the dropship, using it as a fighting position. Well, him and everyone else was getting sudsed out and decanted. Buxton shifted slightly, not sure if he preferred that long-ass pink golf ball joke that they were talking about now. How long were you out there? Two months, Casey said, stripping rations from dead men till the dropship nanofarge was working. Casey gave a chuckle, reaching up and touched the data link. Buxton saw the incoming data request from Casey and allowed it. It was a creation engine template, all cracked and jailbroken. What is that? Buxton asked. 
Telkin and Battle Buddy rations. Loaded it while we were on top gobbler there, he said. Main nutrient paste, standard space ward troop transport flavor array. Basic medication kits, including multivitamin water additives. Basically, everything you need to keep your man in fighting condition if you're sitting in a wreckage of a dropship. With only a class 1 nanoforge you hardwired. He patted the nanoforge mounted on his gun smart frame. Have your greenie double check it. 417 sighed and passed on his turn, eyeing 442's icon and wishing that he'd been able to launch an ambitious attack to take 442's turkey farms away from him. He ran a quick check on the templates and saw that they were standard space force, just the serial numbers filed off and able to be run off of any creation engine. 471's antenna twitched when he saw that there were jailbork codes to break open any nanoforge and print out whatever was needed rather than what the nanoforge was designed for. 471 checked the nanoforge attached to the Talcan Marine's armor and saw that they'd load in just fine. Checks out, he said, and then went back to nervously nibbling on the tip of his blade arm as one of 442's ocean units passed close to his hidden fleet during the other's turn. Think we'll need it, Buxton asked. He watched as Casey checked the status of some complex device the nanoforge in his weapon was slow printing. I did, Casey shrugged. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. Hopefully you'll never need it, and it'll just sit in your implant long-term archive storage, compressed and cold, for your whole career. Proper preparation prevents piss poor performance, Buxton quoted. Exactly, sir, Casey said. If you don't need it, you're that paranoid officer who stresses over everything and tries to micromanage everything. If you do need it, you're lucky and probably stole the idea from a superior officer. Buxton smiled at that. Get some rest, sir, Casey said. He tapped one armored fingerprint against the barrel of his minigun. It's another 40 hours till we get there. So, then the kid, the kid, right, the kid gets like a mondo Greek grades in junk, and like totally rocks all of the fourth grade, becoming like the top grade person in junk, Casey said. His voice slightly pitched and waved his hands about. So, like his dad says, male child, you are allocated one desire unit and junk. The kid goes like totally. I respond with gratitude to your acknowledgement, parental unit. I would like to requisition one pink golf ball for my desire unit. And the dad like totally gets it for him and junk. Totally like wondering what this kid would want with a pink golf ball for because it's totally weird and junk. And his kid is totally wants this pink golf ball and... One of the attachments on Casey's loading frame started beeping and cut off. Touching his data link. Buxton noticed again that it looked like Casey had added more armor onto the loading frame. Now, a lot of pistons, gears, and chains were covering by armor. We changed direction, the Terran said. Addix nodded. Are you sure, Sergeant? Plunix asked. Casey shrugged. Unless the magnetic field of the planet decided to shift by 30 degrees over a five-minute period, then we changed direction, sir. Who knows, sir? Might have happened. At ease with that shit, Casey, Addix said. The same device beeped again, and Casey tapped his data link. Huh. We shifted back onto course. Wonder what we moved around. Something stupid, I'm sure, Addict said. Then he leaned back and closed his eyes. And shut up about the damn pink golf ball. I'm pretty sure the kid's gonna shove them up his ass. Buxton barked out a laugh. Sergeant Addicts, Buxton asked over the private command channel, making sure the Plinux wasn't paying any attention and was asleep. Go ahead, sir, Addict said, not bothering to make his face shield transparent. 
I think I'll figure out why Casey keeps going back to check on Glory, Buxton said. Let's hear it, sir, Attic said. He got left behind a lot during his career, kept getting dropped off and left behind, Buxton said. He doesn't want Glory to be left behind. Notice what else he's doing, sir, Attic asked. Mapping and reconning the machine, Buxton said. That way he's covered and everyone doesn't notice him checking on Glory, because he's reconning around us. Know why he's checking on Glory? Attic asked. Buxton noticed the intensity of the human's voice. Because Glory isn't a machine. She's a person. A digital sentience, not a machine without feelings. Exactly, sir, Attic said. That's why I keep giving him permission, Buxton said. I don't want her left alone in the dark in that awe-gathering bay. Good man, sir, Attic said. Buxton sat quietly in the darkness of the Precursor Machine's automated command center. The last precursor machines are down, General, the voice said from the operations bay below. Space Boss is reporting all enemy destroyed, ground sightage dismal mop-up of machines that didn't get away. Thank you, Major, General Nudruk said. He shifted his attention. Status on the Great Gobbler. They'd moved under the edge of a junction of the mountain range, sir, the Major said. He tossed it up on the hollow tank. The fighting has eased up enough that we can get seismic on it now. It slowed down as it came closer to the surface and no longer is moving in a straight line. Does 108th MI still have a line to Sergeant Gacy? General Nodrak asked. Specialist Grade 5 Peak has reported for duty. Her commander said that she is examining a message right now. Apparently it's some kind of back-channel system Gacy keeps in operation, the Major said. Why? Gearma O interrupted. Do you want the real reason or the excuse she gave the commander? The Major said. Both, Jeremiah O suggested, wondering why she would lie. Officially, it's because Casey works ordnance and needs to feed 108th MI ammunition consumption levels in his sector, the Major said. That's the official reason. Jeremiah shook his jaw in slight confusion. That sounds like a likely reason, although I do not understand why he would need a discreet channel and a hardware devoted solely between the two of them. What is the real reason? Tit picks, no drunk guessed. Gamo queried his implant on the nature of tit and was flooded with lewd pictures of Terran female memory glands, as well as a bunch of pictures of small birds, as well as a handful of explicitly drawn Marigellian females, sporting impossibly bare mammalian memory glands. Well, um, so crudely, I was going to call it interpersonal video, text and image correspondence, the major said. She's known Casey for about 60 years. They've got some history. Why send pictures of memory glands? Gamo asked, proudly. That seems like a lot of effort to create or conceal a private message device in order just to send image of memory glands. It's a Terran thing, Nodrak said. Gamo suddenly put it together as all the pieces suddenly matched together. Oh, I suddenly understand. Nodrak raised an antenna, his species version of cocking an eyebrow. Go on, the most high. They are involved in a sexual relationship and they send pictures of body parts to one another as a method of sexual enticement and amusement. Gamo felt proud of himself for putting it together. They cobbled together a communication device in secret so the commanders didn't know that they intended to carry out long-distance quasi-sexual relationships based on text, pictures, and videos in order to ensure sexual delight despite distance. The Major, to his credit, didn't snicker. Nodrak carefully took out a cigarette to avoid busting up with laughter. Right you are, most high, no drunk said. I am an observant commander. It is why my men trust me so highly, Gamo stated, holding all four of his arms. If I were their commander, I would look at the other way. 
has improved morale results and improved performance. It took everything the general no drunk had not to spit a cigarette out in surprise. It's slowed to the point that we can detect it, someone called out. They've arrived, no drunk mused. Ready, Wixton asked. Everyone signaled with the icons that they were ready. Standing at a single double door, that was an approximation of an airlock that would lead into the vehicle. Casey triggered the door and slid open, the tracks already lubricated. Beyond was an endosteel hallway, big enough for a suited warrior cast mantid to move around comfortably in, with runners up by the ceiling for green mantids to move down the hallway without getting underfoot. The passageway ran for about a hundred meters and echoed in another door. If anyone sees a hobbit with a ring in here, don't steal the thing, Casey said. At ease with that crap, Casey, Addict said almost absently. Platoon, move out, Vuxton ordered. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed. There are links down below both to support this channel and for the author of this fiction. Anyways, I hope you all have a fantastic one, and I'll see you next time. Cheers.